What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck did I just watch? You are listening to What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? You can find us on Facebook and YouTube at WTF Did I Just Watch? Thanks for joining us, and here's our latest episode. Welcome to What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? And uh, it's a new year, so uh, we started with uh, Randy when we started this wonderful podcast, and we figured, hey, new year, let's uh, start it with Randy again, so... New Welcome, year, Randy. Year. And as <laughs> always, we have Jenny. So uh, on this wonderful fun venture, we are going to uh, discuss the 1994 film by Oliver Stone, Natural Born Killers. Yeah. Yes. So, we excited? Yep. I'm excited. I'm excited. I love this movie. So, uh, yes. <laughs> I should say, fun fact. So the reason why we did this one is because, you know, we lured Randy in to be our guest for this episode, and he's a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. I'm not. I'm not an anti-fan. I just don't think he's all that great. But I figured if I can get him on here to talk about a movie which I enjoy that is Quentin Tarantino related. <laughs> yeah. It should be a fun conversation. Adjacent. And Adjacent. there's a good chance that you might hear Randy and I go at each other a little bit about stuff, but that should make it more fun for our guests. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I forgot to wear my ref shirt. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pretend this blue means I'm wearing a ref shirt. So let's I'll get be, it on. I'll be refereeing this, this match. I got a folding chair at the ready. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so grudge match. Go. <laughs> No, um, honestly, so when this film first came out and I first watched it, I hated it. Um, And it's mostly because it just was everything that I hated about the media. And it wasn't until I could take a step back and go, oh, this is talking about everything that I hated about the media. It's not trying to be part of it. It's trying to say this shit sucks. And then I liked it better. But the other reason why I hated it, and John Paul and I kind of talked about this, is Julia Lewis's voice in this is so fucking annoying to me, or it used to be. It's actually not so bad now, but when I first watched it, it was like nails on the chalkboard or Freddy Krueger walking down the alley, (laughs) putting his claws down the brick. It was just that annoying. And it made like I would have like a PTSD response anytime I saw Juliet Lewis in a movie after that, because I would just be like, "Uh," and uh, fucking bitch. It was just I don't know if it was like the the weird sort of southern accent she was trying to put on it. Or if like, like me, she might have a lower voice. So she was just trying to raise it to be heard more. I don't know, but it hurt to listen to her. Yeah. I don't know what accent she's trying to do in this. It's like trash Southern, you know? I mean, it's not, it's not any sort of Southern accent I'm familiar with. And I have a lot of family from the South, but you're right. Her voice is like shrill in this. So (laughs) I won't give you that. So. Where is she from originally? Did, did any of you guys know? I'm a, I don't know. know. Feel free to Google. I, I'm, I'm Googling it, right? Oh, my gosh. She was born in Los Angeles. Ah. So maybe so, the Valley Girl Southern accent she was working yeah. on. I, I don't know what she was working on. Yeah. Because I agree. That was her shtick in her early career. Even, I, I would say, even uh, Christmas Vacation, where she's playing somebody from the Midwest. <laughs> Yeah. Like I said, in retrospect, I wonder if just like her natural voice was just something she thought wasn't caring or well, because I literally don't speak in my natural voice because it doesn't carry. 
And I got tired of having to repeat myself <laughs> over and over huh? again. So my actual voice is actually a little lower than this, shockingly. Um, <laughs> I mean, because she does. How this- low? Like, is it Elizabeth Theranos low? Because <laughs> she does the same voice in From Dust Till Dawn, Cape Fear. I mean, it's just, it's almost like a weird, like, childlike voice in, in a weird way. I don't know. I, I, I agree. The voice was terrible. I also was not a fan of her acting. Well, no, no, no. It's not. It's not. I was just about to say, let's not take anything away from her acting. Yeah. I mean, it's, the she is a good actress. Yeah. But you can't appreciate it when you hear the voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the voice is just an odd choice. And you're right. She does several movies. She's made odd choices with uh, an accent. So, but I like her a lot. She's got a great band, Juliet and the Licks. I highly recommend checking them out. If you guys never heard of them, they're a punk band. Punk Amazing. rock band, aren't they? They're they're punk. I would say they're punk. Yeah. No, I, I actually love her now. I can, I, you know, that's yeah. so strange. Like I could not stand seeing her face probably for like the rest of the nineties. And then I just, when I was able to get through the voice thing, I don't know if it's maybe because my aged ears don't hit the high pitch so much anymore. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's much better. But I mean, so I think it's funny too, because, you know, I thought she was much younger than me. She's actually two years older than I am. Um, oh, wow. I was like, wow. Okay. And, um, <laughs> but I actually <laughs> do think she's a really, really good actress and actually very underrated. And I think part of the reason she is underrated is that voice. Like, I think, I think the reason people are so wild by her now in Yellow Jackets is because that voice has kind of gone away. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing in Yellow Jackets. Highly, and, um, highly recommend that too. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, we should probably give a rundown, don't you guys think, uh, just Go as to what, what the plot is, just in case anybody's tuning in that hadn't seen it for some and spoiler reason. Spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen this movie. Right. Spoiler alert. So we pick up uh, this story is about Mickey and Mallory, two Starcrest lovers who uh, go on a serial killer binge spree across America after uh, uh, Mickey meets Mallory as a meat delivery driver. <laughs> Uh, and takes her out of her terrible home and kills the terrible family. They go across this uh, country in this murder spree, very surreal uh, road trip kind of elements. And then uh, they're captured. And the movie is mainly about how we take people of ill rebuke and terrible that do terrible things and hold them up. Mass murderers, serial killers. Exactly. Um, And hold them up in this pedestal and make them into celebrities and, and the media is mainly responsible for this. And, and our cultural zeitgeist, the media takes these people and gives them more airtime than they should ever get. And so the whole movie is a, basically a warning about what would happen if we continued down that path. This came out in what? 96, John 94, 94. Okay. So, and, and here we are now, and that's exactly what happened. This movie came out as like a warning and a and a satire about how things were getting crazy and we lived through in the 90s especially uh you think about it you know you go let's start with Lorena Bobbitt then you go into the Menendez brothers you got um OJ OJ Simpson Jeffrey Dahmer's in there right I mean it, it, we did exactly what this movie was portraying that we were going to do so it, it, that's what the movie is about it's about uh, how we take you know terrible people and hold them up as celebrities at some point and well yeah and, and more on a lower level like you know reality tv which yes really, really popular around oh, this time oh my god it's annoying 
is, is also mm. kind of a subset of that. I mean, it generally yeah. isn't like mass murders and stuff, but the more horrible or awful or stupid or whatever the reality TV stars act or behave, it, you know, I mean, I guess in a way, maybe you should blame pro wrestling. A little <laughs> 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 so that is like acting, but you know, <laughs> not exactly reality TV, but. And on the yeah. craziness now we have what? the internet on our phone yeah <laughs> and people becoming famous that shouldn't be famous <laughs> tiktok 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 yeah all of that nonsense i watched a video on tiktok this is just a side note to show you how stupid it had 3.5 million views right before we started recording this so i clicked on it, it was two ladies holding wine glasses and the entire video was them uh dancing to this song that where the lyrics were like we're sexy and they were just shaking their ass in yoga pants with drinking wine and dancing around. That was the that was the video. There was nothing else about it. And, and I was like, "What is? I don't understand what this is. <laughs> I guess I'm too old." They're like, feeling their moment, I guess. You know. I mean, I, I I don't. Yeah, I mean, you're allowed to dance around. That's fine. But why are there so many people viewing it? I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe they were really sexy in the yoga. Pants they were sexy. They were there very sexy. <laughs> But, but I just don't get like why is that? Why are they famous now for that? I mean, they're in the top five videos for this week or whatever. I just <laughs> I go to I've been at strip clubs and none of those girls were famous yet. Well, if you put so, them on TikTok, they would be. Yeah, yeah. Say, but but then you have you know all of those what TikTok challenges where it was beat up on your teacher or something. Well, uh, there's like six months yeah, ago, psychotic stuff like that TikTok challenges, and then I As you say was yeah. there a iPod one of them and. Yeah. And uh, there's some other stupid, dangerous ones where it's like, you know, or hold the bottle rocket and fire it off from your hand. And, right. Well, and then, well, you also got the whole other, like, I mean, let's just put it out, especially now, like, there's no fact checking really happening anymore, even on the media. Even when you read the news now online, you see so many typos and just misused words. And it's, it's almost painful. Like, there's just nothing. I and mean, then you think about things like people drinking horse tranquilizer and try to, stop covid you know like because right. somebody said it somewhere you're like and nowhere in your brain did you think that or sorry yeah. or, or, or not tranquilizers that would heal a whole other different effect but you know what I mean? like, it's just yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's I, almost I, like I we took by, this oliver stone morning and went fuck it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's see exactly. where it goes without paying attention and, to and not that this movie didn't have controversy which it did Tons. Oh, you know yeah. you had you had the the kids in columbine who NBK was their NBK was their thing. They they mimicked this movie and got the wrong message watching this movie. (laughs) Well, but yeah, again, I would you know I was a senior in high school in '99 when I mean I graduated that year, and that that happens. We all we all watched the same movies, and nobody else went and built pipe bombs. You know what I mean? So I, I I hate that 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 gets brought up you know like you know oh they love that movie yeah they listen to this music yeah that's so what you know what i mean like well, and, were, and i agree with you but that's psychotic the pieces of shit so <laughs> and that but that's what this movie did that people were trying yeah. to blame this movie on well, yeah. so many things i think that was the controversy too was uh was the violence um i remember jenny when i when this came out i didn't get to watch all of it my parents rented it and we started watching it, and my dad turned it off at when the knife goes through the plate glass window at the diner. 
It's like and five minutes made, into the movie. <laughs> he made me go to bed. Yeah, he was like, oh, it's Which my, like that's like one of the scenes I hate most is that knife going through it because I'm yeah. like, if it hit the glass, it wouldn't make it to cook. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bullet. It's a thrown knife. Sorry. I got to I got I got to say too. I think that a lot of this the violence that you see in it is from their perspective. So it's cartoonish yes. and surreal and visceral and like. M- nonsensical because that's how they were perceiving it. Right? right. So I don't really think he threw the knife through the window in this real scenario, but in his head, that's how he did it. Right. I mean, that's the way you I, know, always, I, I yeah. got that for most of it for that scene. It didn't work for me though, because it's, no, I got you. Yeah. You know, but I mean like, you know, where they, you know, the way the bullets were shot and they'd slow down, like yeah, all that I understood. But like I said, right. the knife going through the window, I was still like, mm. <laughs> and in that scene, how about Juliette Lewis beating the living shit out of that dude? So actually dead? a good, well, actually before I jump to that, I want to mention that like back to the, where the controversy and stuff, there actually was a lawsuit um, that uh, a woman named Patsy Byers, put forth and she actually had like the support of John Grisham and um, a couple people were tripping balls, watched this movie and then went out and shot a store clerk, which was Patsy Byers. And she ended up being permanently disabled from it at the time. So they went and sued Oliver Stone because they, you know, cited that this movie was the cause of it. And back to the point, she like, we all grew up on movies and cartoons and everything where violence was there. And there was like the censorship you have now did not exist. I mean, you know, let's just be honest. The shit bugs bunny pool. That was dangerous shit. You know? And other people did stupid things. And so this is what always bothers me when they when they blame movies and or video games and or, you know, whatever. You read a violent book. I got nothing. An asshole is an asshole. They are going to find a trigger wherever they want. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could sit there and have them watch Bambi while there's a hunter in Bambi. You know what I mean? Like, so if somebody's looking for an excuse, they're going to find it. And right. Basically, these are people looking for excuse. So I, I also am not an advocate of, you know, it's the media that's doing it. Or actually, I don't want to say it's not the media that's doing it. It's the movies and stuff that's doing it. Now, media, like with people who are sensationalizing stuff, which was the point of this movie, going back to it. Right. Sensationalization of it, I think, adds to it for sure. But I don't think the medium itself is the issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in this is very is the embodiment of that you know, gore for ratings scenario that happens, you know? So I totally agree with that. Yep. So, but back to your excellent point about Juliet Lewis being a badass in that, that scene in the cafe where she kicks out the guy. So I, I was reading trivia on it. And one of the trivia things was that Oliver Stone wanted Juliet Lewis to bulk up for this part, which actually I admire that about Oliver Stone, because I personally get sick of seeing really tiny, skinny women that are supposed to be badasses because it adds that myth. So right. that you have issues where you're watching like movies like Encanto and like the, the people who drew the character of Louisa had to like fight to make a strong character be strong because you don't want women to look strong. So I appreciate that back in 94 or 93, whenever that was being shot, Oliver Stone was like, yeah, let's get you more of a badass and balk you up. Now, I also, though, appreciate Juliet Lewis saying, no, I don't want to do that because I want her to look like a pushover. I want her to come out of nowhere is basically what she was going for. She right. wanted this character to look weak and look like something to be preyed upon so that when she came out and kicked her ass, it was like, damn. But yeah. even further to that, though, Oliver Stone was like, OK, fine, we won't make you balk up. But you need to take some kickboxing lessons so your fight scenes look real. And you could see that in oh, that yeah. kickbox fight scene. It's really clear she knew how to throw a punch. She knew how to throw a kick. She knew how to fight, in, you know, at least for the scene. You know? Yeah. And I loved that. Like, that actually is one of my favorite scenes. Is her kicking yeah, the ass. She's like, 
hits him and she says something like, come on, baby, or something like that. And then yeah, I have to tune out her, her voice shit. still, but the yeah. <laughs> and her right? face when he like starts coming up to dance with her every, well, I will just say it's just women. Every person who's been happily dancing in their own fields to music and had somebody come up that decided it was an invitation for them to come try to hit on them or get up next to them or touch them has had that look on their face where that's that sudden where it just melts where you're like, here I was having a good time. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Have a good time, <laughs> or come up no, on no, somebody I mean, who are in their moment come up dancing. On somebody and then I thought it, I thought when you're dancing, you're inviting people to dance on you. Is that not the case? Don't let me call up Juliet Lewis and ever kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I mean, take an ass if I got to meet her. I'd take an ass whooping just to get to meet her. <laughs> so <laughs> you could just not be a dick, maybe and meet her, and not have to. I wouldn't be. You know me. <laughs> You've known me for a long time. I wouldn't be. I'd be in awe. She's amazing. But yeah, but yeah, I. I uh, l- let's talk about that scene. Let's it's op- the opening scene. Let's break it down for a second. There's so much Quentin Tarantino dialogue that they kept in this scene from the key lime pie situation to the banter between her and the hillbilly guy. I mean, you can tell right off the bat that he wrote it. You know what I mean? It's really? so, I think so. Don't you guys think so? Well, I mean, no, just be because basically the whole screenplay that Quentin Tarantino wrote was a completely different story. And he actually walked out of the theater after this scene. Cause he hated I it could, so much. I could tell the dialogue was still there. I mean, I don't know. So like, so actually let's clarify this point. So Quentin Tarantino wrote the original screenplay. He wrote it Oliver true. Stone and the other writers rewrote it completely. And it is supposed to be a completely different movie than Quentin Tarantino's original screenplay. I agree, but uh, um, and you his, can actually his find his original screenplay. He did publish it, so I haven't read it. Somebody could read it and tell. But I'm not saying they threw out all his dialogue, but I am saying that there is a little bit of trivia out there that says that he walked out saw this the scene, movie. the cafeteria scene, and was pissed and left. So that makes me feel like his dialogue may not be in there. I don't. I, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know for sure. I can't be 100%. But as somebody that's watched all of his movies a million times, the key lime pie inter- interchange is something he would have written. It's it's verbatim with the kind of stuff he likes to write. But there are a lot of things in this that I, I totally agree with you. He would no, never have condoned or the whole fucking... Well, so, uh, I mean, like, even the key lime pie, that thing, it yeah. was green. And they were actually set it up so that um, in the movie that whenever a really violent, horrible thing is going to happen that sets off Mickey. You see something uh-huh. green. Something green, that's cool. That's a neat fact. So, John Paul, what are you way in here? You All right, I'm going to weigh in now. All right. <laughs> so I, I feel like the, the whole opening and beginning of this movie is meant to be a Looney Tunes. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Warner Brothers silly Looney Tunes thing. And the thing I really enjoy about it is the fact that Oliver Stone decided I'm going to mess with people's perception while you're watching this because there are four, I believe, four or five different camera techniques and camera oh, I styles. Think it's like 18. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. d- during this scene, though. Oh, I know, the I know, I know during the movie, during the movie he, he messes around with all kinds of things and he does it on purpose. Yeah. And he was, and, and I think he pioneered that kind of style, which then carried over into the nineties. And sadly enough, I think Tarantino even used some of these kind of styles of even going black, black and white color, uh, graininess, all kinds of things um, that is just surreal. And like I said, Looney Tunes, it, it, it's, it's like so 
far-fetched that's well, why when, when when you say that your dad was like i'm turning this off i'm like i thought this is more of like a farce and just how crazy it can be that yeah. it's like you if it, if it was real like like both of you said yeah that knife would have just broken end of it it wouldn't have gone like crazy and the bullet stopping right before and all of that and they actually the show them turning into cartoons too right? yeah and later yeah. they exactly they turn yeah. into cartoons even just the way the blood splatter on stuff yeah. is just so you know yeah. all over the place that it's more of a cartoon and and that i think was i the way i see violence in in movies okay so is this a horror movie? Is this an action movie? Is this a drama? Where would you put the category of this movie? It's a satire. Um, it's yeah. a satire. Perfectly. But if, if it, I remember, again, working at video stores, two different video stores, this movie was placed once in the horror section, once in the drama, and once in the action. Made no sense to me <laughs> because <laughs> this movie is its own monster. I was say, do they, they didn't even have satire sections, did they? No, they no. don't. No, no, they don't. I don't know. I would say it's more of an action movie than anything else, though, just because it doesn't really fit in horror because it's yeah. just not. It's not it's a not. horror. And but at in, least it is a very action oriented movie, even though the intent was, isn't a simple action movie. Right. And drama just seems wrong. Yeah, For me, <laughs> I, I would put it under a comedy. I can well, go with a dark comedy. Sure. I mean, yeah. this is a dark comedy. Exactly. This to me is a comedy. I, yeah. I I don't know how many times I've seen this and I laugh. And then I, when I rewatched it again on Sunday, I found myself laughing even hard. And Kate was just like, my wife looks at me and like, is this funny? I go, yeah, this is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> She's looking at you. She's like, "You think murder is funny? You freak!" <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, the, the murder in this movie, I think, with the exception of certain scenes, uh-huh. is is comical to me. But well, the, the 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 thing that is not comical that I that I wanted to get in depth with you guys was these two characters. So let's let let me just kind of segue. Let's go into Juliet Luce's character. Okay, she's an abused person by her father, by Rodney Dangerfield, which, you know, that, that's what, in, 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 the first time I watched it, I'm like, this is a huge surprise. It was shocking. It's shocking. It's Rodney kind of, Dangerfield. This is his only dramatic yeah. role. Yeah, playing a role where you're like, okay, he's not being funny. He is creepy as fuck. He is scary. His eyes, like, I mean, are popping out in certain scenes. It's just creepy as fuck. But I also, the flip coin, okay, so you get all this drama and all of this uh, trauma of Julia Lewis's character and and what made her, you know, a killer or whatever. And then you get the flip side of uh, Woody Helson's character, and you really don't get much of anything except the fact that he witnessed his father kill himself. No, they pretty much applied physical abuse in there too. Okay, fine. Physical abuse. But sorry, it wasn't until way mom. later. Right, yeah. by the mom. And that's why it was just kind of like... Well, I think the dad too. I think <laughs> there's... Well, okay. But but what I'm saying is it's, it's really strange that they in a movie like this, they don't give you a, a balance of both of them. And I mean, I, I'd like your take on it, Jenny, 
be, being a woman and, and representation and whatnot. Uh, because it's really weird because it's like, okay, she was abused, so she's a piece of shit, right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. And I'm like, but but why? Well, <laughs> and then you I have don't... the man that it's like, oh, well, he was also abused, but you don't go into the depth of that. Because he's a yeah. guy, so you just expect violence. That's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, that's, I agree. That's my but problem. I also agree that, oh, she was sexually abused, so now she's a whacked out psycho killer. Right. That, that that's my problem because I'm right. watching every this woman now. would be a whacked out psycho killer. I mean, exactly. there'd be like two women on the earth that weren't. You know what I mean? And that's why I was like, I rewatched it now with with eyes of the world we live in now. Eyes wide and open. I'm just like, it doesn't make sense now. Again, I still enjoy this movie, uh, by all means, but but it's like, why why wasn't there a balance? And I, I think you're right. There you know, should have been an equal opening. They should have cut that opening out maybe. And they made an equal time frame showing both people what, what brought them to their point. But at the end of the day, uh, you're right. They didn't really, even with all the depth, they went in Julia Lewis. They kind of just, like Jenny said, hit a one note with it. You they know? just skimmed like, them over. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, if you watch a lot of Dateline and, and, uh, you know, to catch a predator, all those kind of shows. If you've seen the, the, the news coverage on, you know, OJ Simpson, you know, the Menendez brothers, what pushes people to become killers is situations that trauma is involved. Right. Some, some, not everybody does it. Like Jenny said, or we would all be murderers, you know? So we've all had trauma. So I think it's, there's, there should have been more, it, if he wanted to delve into the layers of what makes a serial killer a serial killer, then there should have been more focus on that at the beginning. You're right. Um, but I don't think that his overall focus for that was, no. this was just a segue into his bigger arc, which was that the media is out of control. So, and, and I agree, but you focused a lot because think about it. The, the, the Juliet Lewis scene when I, she I, yeah, him, is is a good 20 minutes that and that whole satire that is a sitcom of hearing a, even a laugh track going on yeah. while I don't know why abuse. I, I don't it's know why so they did that up, you know, I mean, why, you know why would, gonna, interestingly yeah. enough Rodney Dangerfield did not understand why they were doing it either like he didn't understand yeah. why they were putting this dark thing in the middle of a 1950 sitcom um and he from what I read it made it really difficult for him to be able to do it which is interesting because he actually is the one who wrote all the filth lines, like all the shitty stuff he says to um which is Valerie crazy. It's amazing. And he does an excellent job, but like like he got acclaims for it, but he never understood the, the thing. I personally think it was to show the contrast, to show here's well, not even the contrast, to show that here is your 1950s idealistic thing. And under the surface, if you were in the house, you know, with Leave It to yeah. Beaver or I Love Lucy, you would be seeing this hurt shit going on. And you wouldn't believe. And I think that's also why you chose Rodney Dangerfield. You want to take this funny, happy looking guy that you would never suspect of anything. All right. And I agree. Because that's the reality of it. Like, the truth is, you don't know. Like, you can't look at somebody's house and it's run down and they're like white trash and they don't have a job. And you and it's that person, you know, that, that right. means this is his daughter and his wife and beats the shit out of his kids. You know, it's not relegated to that. That's the myth. You know, the, the reality is it's, you know, middle class suburbia where everything looks happy and leave it to Beaverland and here what's really happening is sick shit. <laughs> and just a, I thought a little, that was the point he was trying to make with that. A little segue too. Uh, first on the Rodney Dangerfield, I read his biography um, 
And in his biography, there's about four or five chapters chronicling his uh, childhood sexual abuse and trauma that he suffered. So, you know, and he, his parents didn't, he, he literally says in his book, his parents didn't love him. They shipped him off to live with an aunt. His mom always like would pop in and just kind of be indifferent about him. He basically grew up with raising himself in a group of uh, his cousins who the people just tolerated him because they weren't going to let their family live on the street kind of thing. But um, so he had some, and he was sexually abused by a neighbor. Um, the guy, the, the chapter is called 25 cent kisses. And the neighbor used to give him a quarter every time he set him on the lap and let him kiss him. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, like That's there's some up. dark shit that happened to that poor guy. So, yeah. So maybe he was tapping into a little of that. Yeah. But, that makes sense. Then. You know, um, another interesting point though. So the scene where you see, where you see Mallory's dad grabbing her ass and groping her, that is neither Juliet Lewis's ass nor Rodney Dangerfield's hands. Um, there's a lot of conjecture about why that was like, it could be anything from they were busy that day when the scene was shot to neither one of them felt comfortable with it. I never found anything that said exactly what it is, but I did find something that said that absolutely was neither of them. (laughs) Interesting. Which made me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want Ronnie Dangerfield to be doing that. No respect. Yeah. I bet he didn't either, not under those yeah. circumstances. But uh <laughs> but yeah, so um so that's yeah, that's the the thing I wanted to point out was that I'm glad you did. I mean, yeah. I even wonder if maybe that's why he chose to do that role. It could yes. very well be, you know, he didn't do a lot of serious things, like you said. So <laughs> on that note, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also props to Edie McClurg, who is just no matter what, she's like she's always kind of the same character in whatever she's in. Yeah, but also, you know. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's one rad dude. <laughs> Nine <laughs> the times. food in Avira Mistress of the Dark, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so righteous dude. One righteous dude. That's what she says. But yeah, I I just I don't know. She just I thought the way she just pulled off the little like, ah, oh shit, I'm gonna die. <laughs> and did you guys see, see too? Like I I guess uh, I hadn't watched it in a while and then I watched it recently again twice and uh the, I, I just forgot how quickly Mickey was going to murder their son, too. And she was like, no, no, he's he's all right, you know. Uh, but I, I forgot, like, he was just like, oh, there's another one. Kill it. And then, you know, like. The only just, reason I remember, because I've always was confused why Mallory didn't just let him do it. Because, and this is awful of me, but, you know, I mean, the mom was murdered because she just sat by and let it happen. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, I mean, that, that she was murdered for that. I'm just saying that that was it. Like she didn't herself abuse Mallory. She just didn't stop it. But at yeah. the same note, I mean, her little brother was sitting at the table, giving her shit and laughing anytime her father said or did anything to her. And it's not like he was like significantly younger. You know, I mean, it looked like there was maybe three years difference between the two of them. You know what I mean? Like he was 12 and she was 16. You heard it. You heard it here first, folks. Jenny wished they would have murdered the kid. I didn't wish they would have. I just thought it was interesting that she drew the line. But the kid was her kid. You guys forget that. No. No. That's wrong. That was her little brother. The I, lines note the scene John Paul goes. I thought that that you inferred. thought you were in Mallory's room, and that's why we have Kevin. He fucked her, the mother. Oh, oh okay. he just thought yeah. he was with Mallory because okay. he was drunk. Okay. <laughs> then I, I misheard it. And the little that's... boy's like, You mean Mallory's my mom? Because you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. 
That's yeah. right. Yeah. I, I was okay. like immediately like, no, that's wrong, Joe. <laughs> no, and then again, I think I misheard it then. It's already yeah. fucked up enough, dude. It is fucked up. Because she was so Edie McClurk's character's crying because she's like um arguing, I believe, at this point with um Rodney Dangerfield's character about eating beef and dying from the cluster. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and Roddy Dangerfield tells her, "Quit crying. It's so un- unattractive, or it's such a turnoff, or something like that." And she says, "I hadn't cried in fifteen years, and you still haven't touched me." And Ronnie Dangerfield says, "Well, then, how's what was the, the son's name? Kevin, Kevin or whatever? How's Kevin here then?" And she says, "You got drunk, and you thought you were in Mallory's room. <laughs> That's why we have Kevin." There we go. <laughs> and like the whole scene, he was like, I yeah. know. <laughs> "He because hey." Like they said, someone needed to be alive to tell the tale. He was the first. Maybe that was it. There we go. I mean, I didn't think the kid was going to die. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it just seemed like. We we heard it, Jenny. You wanted the kid to die. Jenny was. I just didn't see why she spared him. Like there was not anything where they showed any intimacy with the brother, like where he stood up for or that she was protective of him or anything, or that he was even subject to the same abuse that her and her mother was. Like there was nothing that established why she would have been like, well, let him live, you know? Well, the house was on fire, so maybe he ended up dying. If that makes you feel better, Jenny. And he probably ended up in the foster system, which is just as bad. He died. He died. Jenny's happy. Yeah, Jen- Jenny wants to write a sequel all about Kevin. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. We kind of digressed on that a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that struck me that I thought was really kind of disturbing, too. So it looked very clear to me that when Mickey got arrested for like stealing the car and running off with her, that he was in adult prison, not you know, juvenile hall. Clearly Mallory's character was supposed to be underage, you know? Oh yeah. I totally believe that Mickey was probably 25. And she was and like that, 16, maybe. Yeah. I, I yeah. totally think that. And there she is in the prison, visiting him unsupervised, giving him a hand job. I'm like, I, I have a slight, <laughs> nope pedophile feel here for anybody no guards are like um inappropriate behavior nothing the guards just probably wanted in on it that that whole scene was weird just because out of nowhere you just see you're like what is happening do they let you at 16 go visit a grown-ass convict that you're not related to i I, I don't I, I think that you could probably lie during that time period and say you're older maybe I you mean, didn't I'm, have to provide id i feel like yeah that. we're we're we've we've lived in a generation before 9-11 and after 9-11 and a lot of things changed so yeah I, but there's a lot of shit you couldn't get away with still I well i mean i don't think you can jerk people in. off in prison but i think you could easily <laughs> have lied about your age back then but but i don't know it's yeah that's a crazy scene again i i think again it's just to establish how fucked up their sexual relationship was and and then we go on the run with them you know and we see that Mickey's got a completely idea of what his relationship with her should be. Right. And, and Mallory's got this vision of how she wanted her household to be basically like a perfect marriage and uh, a perfect marriage with murder in it, but with murder. Yes. But which leads us to, if I can move us to that next group of scenes, speaking of them on the run, there's a disturbing scene that it's always bothered me where she goes out after, after they have kidnapped that woman in the hotel room. And she tries to, to screw this guy that likes her car, you know, and yeah, no, she likes the Corvette that's in the garage. That's right. She likes That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they sit her on, you know, they, they do this whole sex scene and then she kills him. 
the the I just felt like that was completely unnecessary. The, the, I always <laughs> it's interesting that. that you're disturbed by that, but the fact that like you know Mickey was back in the hotel re- being the hostage well, was not disturbing. <laughs> I, that's the kind of stuff I'm not surprised about well, with serial killers. You know, like no. actually, this, so but like yeah, that whole thing in context is real interesting because it shows right there where like this, you know. Well, you're right on the bridge and stuff. And when they run off, you clearly yeah. see that Mallory has this romanticized version. And even, you know, Mickey is very much romanticized about how they're joining their like fate and they're supposed to be together. But then the next thing, you know, he's driving down looking for somebody else to fuck because it's his right. you know thing already where he wants a hostage and stuff. And you can already see when he's looking for one and talking about getting one where Mallory is extremely uncomfortable. So now yeah. you have a relationship again, where it's being led by him dictating what she should you know be doing as well. So the fact that when they're in the hotel room, he's like, yeah, I thought we'd add her into the mix. And she's like, no, <laughs> but back to your point where she, you know, I would say she does kind of seduce the guy, the gas station attendant. Cause it'd be, I actually, there's only one person. He's the only character I actually kind of felt sorry for him in the native American, the indigenous yeah. person are the only two people I really felt sorry for, or felt any compassion for in the movie. Like that's actually one of my problems when I first watch it is I hated every main character. I'm like, all these people can go die in a fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, those two, like, cause they make it really clear that the gas station attendant isn't being creepy. Like he's not being weird yeah. or even hitting on her at first. Like he does mention that she looks familiar, but it's not in the like, Hey, do I know you kind of way? Right. You know, and she actually is the one that does initiate, you know, all the activity. And um, when she sort of snaps out of it, cause you know, she's in the state already where she's pissed cause she knows her husband's probably fucking this hostage and not feeling sexy or love, which is why she's talking to the attendant and saying, Hey, do you think I'm sexy? And then she just decides no. And then shoots him. <laughs> But yeah. I also love where she shoots him. She's like, the worst hat I ever had. Yeah. <laughs> now, Next time, don't be so fucking eager. <laughs> I now, mean, it might have been a really, really, really bad head, Randy. And that's what yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, but now, do you think that scene was, remember, she was fantasizing about Mickey. Yeah. During that scene. So do you think she's in that trance, that whole, you know, the perfect man? even though that perfect man was being a piece of shit, but she fantasized about this perfect man. And then the man, when the guy becomes too aggressive, which is what was happening back home, she snapped back into reality and was like, no, fuck this. This guy's going to die. Yeah. I think it was a mix of that. Like where she couldn't really feel that she could lash out against her abuser, whether it was her dad or Mickey or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. We also see flashes of Rodney Dangerfield in there too. That's so true. She's, so um, she's lashing out at this. That she could lash at this guy. And so he's she's just like, trying to work on this Corvette. That's clearly commissioned. He's working overtime. It's fucking <laughs> nighttime, you know, and he's just trying to do his job. This lady wanders in and it's like, Hey, <laughs> you know, seductress. She was a seductress. And, and also what triggers her back also to the point is he figures out who she is. Yeah, that's right. true. But it's yeah. kind of like all at the same time, like he says, oh, you're Mallory. And then she pops through and just throws him off her and just has that. Yeah. Boom. Right. But so I always said, if I was being seduced by a serial killer, I'm going to die. Totally pretend like I don't know who they are. You know? <laughs> and then you're going to die. <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> he kept his mouth shut. He might. And don't yeah. be so fucking eager, Randy. That's the other one. Two things. I, don't reveal that you know who it is and try to keep calm and make sure you're giving good head. It takes me a while anyway. So. <laughs> It seems like I'm being suave, but I'm just trying to figure shit out. It's like a puzzle box. <laughs> I'll send you some diagrams. 
I'm always yelling lament configuration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I also thought it was interesting that they focused like that whole scene. They like have little flashes of what likely ends up being a rape of the hostage and probably killed because I'm sure he's not leaving her alive. But you don't really they don't really make a scene out of it. They focus much more on what Mallory's doing. And I don't know if they wanted to just put the shock in there of a woman killing a guy or what. <laughs> yeah, I just say it seemed out of character for her, but until we just broke it down and now it makes sense. You know, she's trying to get back at her, you know, at her dude. And then all of a sudden she realizes that she doesn't want to do that. So, and the guy, she's taking it out on him. But, um, I mean, this leads us to, if you spoke with of the Native American guy to the, to, probably the most heart-wrenching scene of of that whole of the whole movie for me is like you're talking about it's the most surreal too i every time i watch mushrooms or at least every time i watch this thing i'm like god i wish i still smoked weed (laughs) because that scene would have been a whole lot better (laughs) when it's just so fucking trippy and uh the music is amazing everything the shaman part of it is cool where he's telling the story and you know um, then, I mean, we could spoiler alert, tell everybody, you know, they get helped by this guy and he, uh, snake, uh, has snakes and stuff. And, uh, Mickey has a bad dream and kills him, you know, when he wakes up by mistake and, uh, it, it's pretty jacked up. <laughs> you know? It's interesting too. So, yeah. I mean, also if, if you listen to some of the dialogue up to coming into like where they run into this. Yeah. I, I don't know that he was a shaman, but it really looked like he was. You know? Right. Well, yeah, I was um, just making an assumption, but they're lost in the desert. I guess I forgot. Slang that. and slurs about indigenous people. Like he tells, like when the cops fall on him, he's like, go and eat your fry bread. You know, he just, yeah. there's a lot of just not good shit that's coming out of Mickey's mouth in regards to indigenous people. They end up, I guess the car runs out of gas, breaks, breaks down, down, something along yeah. those lines in the middle of the desert, in the middle of a reservation, basically is what it appears to be. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they do end up in the guy takes them in and it's like awful too. Cause you have Mal. Like, I don't think he speaks English. My name is Mal or re. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and the whole time, you know, the old Shem understands him. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He even like in his monologue or dialogue, how he's kind of, I guess, talking to his little grandson sort of. And uh-huh. he says that he knows that he's picked up snakes and he knows it's going to buy. Basically, yeah. the whole story is telling about a woman picking up a snake and the snake biting her, and the snake going, "Bitch, what'd you think?" Yeah, <laughs> which is a he, great analogy for all women who pick up a guy that you know is a piece of shit and try to protect. <laughs> it is or, going a, to or a woman, or if you're a guy, <laughs> no, you pick up a woman. He, he does end up calling them the demon. Yes. Yeah. Which you know plays what essentially his character is, and he later talks about it that you know he is the demon. And what happens to the demon? <laughs> I mean, that's that, yeah. That that whole scene. I mean, I remember uh, seeing interviews and Oliver Stone saying, "Yes, we took mushrooms, and yes, we we wrote down what Stone we saw." Cokehead as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, and and I believe Woody Harrelson would probably tripping on shrooms as well. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's well, an advocate for weed for sure. So I don't know if he jumps yeah. into the hallucinogenic as well, but I would not be surprised. Let's also, also say, at the very least, a vegetarian. I don't know if he's a vegan. He's vegan. Vegan. Yeah, he's I know vegan. that. We know that from uh, 
from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, Edge of 17, there's, there's oh. a, yeah. Um, well, well uh, the cocaine explains Michael Madsen's character. Or, or, oh, my uh, God. Or, or is it Michael That's, Madsen or the other Tom Michael? Sizemore, I think. Uh, Tom Sizemore. They, they, they look Sizemore. the same. Jesus, I always get yeah. them confused. They, yeah. They're, they're well, essentially he might they're have interchangeable. Been up, no, no, no. Madsen was up for Mickey, and he they decided not to go with Michael Madsen for Mickey because they wanted a softer looking killer. And apparently they thought Michael Madsen just looked flat out like, Oh yeah. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> well, Tom, Tom Sizemore and Michael Madsen, are, are, they're, they're, they're interchangeable. Yeah. No, I'm talking but, about Michael Madsen. He was, yeah, no, I got you. I'm not confusing them. Right. Tom yeah. Sizemore did play Scagnetti, but Michael Madsen had been up for um, yeah. Mickey. But, so, um, sorry, digression. Right. So we're in this scene. Yeah. He kills him. You see that actually his, I assume it might be his grandson. Maybe it's his son. Who's like it was his grandson because remember his son was the one that had uh gotten discharged or died, I'm sorry, in I bought some war because they had the the papers and everything. because ah, he was in and the then, army. Yeah. Yeah. And he was wearing the army PT shirt. Exactly. Which I had one of those for a very long time because those are the ones they were using in 2000 still. Um <laughs> well, there you go. See, you know. But um <laughs> So yes, yeah, it was but on the other point I want to make the, the nightmare he was having was basically about his abuse of childhood too, which I think right. the other flash you saw of it before that was right before the rape. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. but again, that goes to like well, like I said, you get the just the Small brush flashes. of of his you don't background. get the full story, you just see no, flashes. and and like I said, that's why it's kind of like me balance. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is so the death of the shaman ends up being the lead to their being captured in their yeah because yeah. um mallory gets bit by a rattlesnake and she they both needs... actually got bit oh did they both get yeah bit? but i think she got bit more and she's small yeah. she she would yeah. and honestly after they got bit even one time they would not have been able to make it all the way to that drugstore and be able to run right but anyway um an interesting fact there were real rattlesnakes in that mix in that desert and they were worried about it at first but it was cold so they weren't super worried about the actors getting it because you know Rattlesnakes aren't so quick when they're freezing. So, right, they're yeah. cold-blooded. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we can fast forward, but uh, you know, yes, they, well, they get I don't, captured. But I don't want to fast forward. I want to talk about the uh, the drugstore. Drugstore, because okay. it's visually one of the coolest pieces in this movie. Also, notice a lot of green at that point. Yeah. yeah, a lot of green, like Jenny was talking about the drugstore emblem itself. It looks like it's its own like world, basically. <laughs> That they're entering in. It was, in fact, an actual drugstore that they shot it in. It was uh, had just closed, so they a lot of the shelving and everything was still there. But it was yeah. interesting. I love I love his interaction with the teller at the drugstore, who's watching Robert Downey Jr.'s show, and that's showcasing Mickey and Mallory's kill spree. And he, he gets to he presses the buzzer that calls the cops, and Mallory's or Mickey's about to kill him, and he says. Well, I thought you had to leave one person alive, and he's like points at the video cameras. <laughs> it's like, which yeah. sets up for later in the movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and he also, he points out that if I leave you alive, there's no crime that was committed. Exactly. Yeah. And then he he gets to the cops, which is like one of the coolest scenes in this movie. The standoff with the cops are in, that's it's insane. The first time I watched this, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. I mean, it it they got Mallory. They're beating the shit out of her outside. You know, he's arguing with Scagnetti. Um, by the way, Scagnetti is mentioned in uh, Reservoir Dogs as the same it's a parole um, officer. I believe, parole officer. Yeah, that is 
in charge of Michael Madsen. And, and <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. There's Little, your Tarantino. Uh, Tarantino there's your, trivia for there's it. There's your Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene in Reservoir Dogs too, because you're like, how's Scagnetti? Well, he's a fucking asshole, <laughs> which translates perfectly into this. So. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind, we take a moment to talk about that character because that character is absolutely disgusting. And I don't know if it's Tom yeah. Sizemore or if it's just how he portrayed it, but sleazy, skeezy, gross, just like, uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Everything you prostitute. don't want a cop to be, everything that if you're a woman, especially you're afraid a cop is, you yeah. know, because there he is with the prostitute. He kills her just to feel what it's like to kill somebody. I assume that was his first kill. We don't, of yeah, a we non- don't know, we, we don't know yeah. but but I suspect there's more. Like, I'm sure he there. shot other people that were like criminals and convicts and stuff like that. But I think that might have been the first just random person that he just killed just for shits and giggles. There's yeah. um, back to the Corvette sex scene. He there's a pair of Mallory's underwear there. He sniffs it. Oh, he looks at her ass print on the. Yeah, it was like there's like the world's most perfect ass there. I mean, yeah, just gross. And then like the, even the threat he makes against her to you know Mickey, it's not that I'll kill her or I'll hurt her. I'm going to cut her tits off. Was right. The threat, which even funnier though is Mickey's response, like, "Well, buy her better ones." <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly what he says, but he's like, "I'll buy her new ones" or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's again terrible person. But but I'll go back to the the end of that scene when they're getting captured and uh, Mickey's getting beaten by those cops. If you, you know, pull, they're both poisoned by you know snake. Right. Just- but it, I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. if you pull up the Rodney King beating and that scene side by side, they are so close to that, which was so creepy. Now well, watching it. Yeah, no, I, I know it was deliberate, but but it's so creepy watching it now, like when I watched it with Kate, because Kate wasn't around for Rodney King. And she's like, because I'm like, every time I'm like, and she's like, what, what, what? They're just beating him <laughs> up. And I go, no, they're not just beating him up so much so that I had to pause, get my you phone know, out. Rodney King 92 or 93, it was like, right. I want to say it was 92. Yeah. Okay, so it was like yeah. they were filming this in 93 so it was like right fresh right right yeah so yeah. i i paused it got my phone googled it played her the clip and she's like holy shit i go yeah that's the same beating and it's yeah. like holy shit you know so it, again not only did we get scadinetti being shown as how cops can terribly be but the fact that it was being filmed by that Asian reporter and then they push her away yeah, while they were filming him getting beaten, which mirrored what was happening, which, again, goes along with what this movie's trying to tell people if they're understanding <laughs> what this movie's about, not, hey, I'm going to go kill people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And message. And- <laughs> That whole that whole capture scene is just yeah unbelievably well shot and crazy and archaic and just nuts. You know, I I, I and I didn't know the Rodney King beating thing, but yeah, the the police are definitely you know doing their their <laughs> their brand of justice. It's there. gross. You know, it's so, gross. Yeah. It's absolutely gross. <laughs> but I I mean that's that like you said that's his point, right? Yeah. No. Exactly. That was the example. So and then I like that from there we get introduced to Robert Downey Jr. finally and his yeah. crazy. I mean you see glimpses of him when they do the little media yeah. bites, but 
Um, yeah. So interestingly, the Australian accent, like Wayne Gale is the character's name, was he was not originally Australian, but Robert Downey Jr. went to Australia and there was a Shot King um, TV guy down there, his name, something Dunleavy, I believe, that he, that Robert Downey Jr. was like watching and learning from so he can bring it to the Wayne Gale character. And as a result of the time spent down in Australia and with this guy, he pretty much assimilated an Australian accent for a while <laughs> when he came back. And they liked it, so they decided to make Wayne Gale Australian because of it. <laughs> it's fantastic. I, Robert Downey Jr. is a genius. He was cr- crazy all through the '90s on coked up, but he coke. did so much. <laughs> he did so much amazing stuff, and this is one of them. Uh, there are some scenes with this guy that are like iconic to me. Um, we'll get to them, I'm sure. The prison scene, especially, but he says some shit to to his his girlfriend on the phone. That's like one of the funniest the hot pepper things. Up the ass. I'm like, that yeah, yeah. not remotely. So, so is that a euphemism or something. Yeah. <laughs> I've never felt more alive. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to totally say it. Robert yeah. Downey Jr. and Tommy Lee Jones are my favorite things of this movie. <laughs> both yeah. phenomenal performances. Both, both sure. of those yeah. characters. I mean, okay, we know Robert. I mean, we know uh, Rodney Dangerfield did a great job for his small role, uh-huh. but Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> And Robert Downey Jr. deserve awards in my eyes for both of those roles in this movie. Yeah, they because they're so fucking good. Acting, they really, they really the added a lot. Acting like, yeah. holy shit! So I gotta jump in here. So I read a bit of trivia. Tommy Lee Jones um, said that his over-the-top performance was partly inspired by Moliere's play *The Bourgeois Gentil Home*, which is a, ter- a satirical look at social climbing and the bizarre things people will do to achieve fame. Which makes perfect sense perfect when you sense. think about what he was doing. That's a perfect nail on the head sense. right there, you know? Yeah, so <laughs> I thought that was an interesting little, wow. Like, I totally respect Tommy Lee Jones as an actor. I think he is amazing. But, like, this was a little bit of insight to him that I would not have picked up. You know what I mean? Like, the- Yeah. <laughs> and, and to break it down for everybody, so after the capture, Wayne Gale wants to go in and talk to, to the two serial killers. Um, they happen to be visiting the same day that uh, the um, Scagnetti character is there as well. For um, it wasn't; it was just to, he was just there. No, to no, they had invited. So did they invite him? Because they I, invited I Scagnetti. Now remember, the first time this okay. is before they actually are going to have the interview. This is when um, Wayne Gale is trying to set up to get the interview. Right, 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 right. And yeah. um, they had Scagnetti there because they have decided that they need to get rid of Mickey Mallory because it's, you know, he's caught, they're causing havoc around the prison and it's going to incite riots. Right. The the warden wants him to. And they were going to send them to a mental institution, basically where the end game was to lobotomize him. But the actual plan the warden wanted, if you hear it in the dialogue, when he and the two guards and Scagnetti are walking, is they're going to have Scagnetti take them to the site place with, as a ploy to just murder them. Right on route, and then come up with a story like they tried to escape or whatever. Yeah, if they didn't make it, it would be all right. Because he was talking about a book deal and all that. After that's right, yeah. yeah. And then, um, uh, but at the same time, when Gail had been there to start initiating, being able to get an interview, right? Which it also in that dialogue they talk about how they thought it would be weeks before they could even get it. By that time, Mickey Mallory would have been transported and or killed. Yeah, which didn't work out that way. So I'm sorry. Go ahead though. From there. Oh no no yeah that's so that's the, that's the setup is so Wayne Gale gets the interview he uh, sits down with uh, with Mickey you know to do this like and they've got a ton of guards 
you know, um, <laughs> Mickey has shaved his head at this point. He looks super Woody Harrelson, just super intimidating in this, in this scene. I, I remember as a kid, just thinking, man, this, this guy is not the same dude from cheers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, Good point too. Cause yeah. um, at this point, like prior to this, like Woody Harrelson had been in movies and he'd played other things besides I can't even, what was his name? His character's name was Woody also. Woody, cheers. Woody, Woody. Cheers. Yeah. 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 Goofy. Where they were less goofy, but they were still very nonviolent. You know, they weren't crazy serial killer characters you played. They were like, you know, maybe a cop, maybe, you know, white men can't jump, just a little bit of a con man, you know, like that kind of thing. And then you had this, and this was like, the fuck happened here? Right. Because <laughs> you did not view him in that light. And so when he was just a crazy fucking killer, mass murderer, you were like, the fuck? And side note, Woody Harrelson's dad is in jail for murder. Did you guys know uh, that? I thought it was a no. hit. Yeah, well, yeah, he was a hitman. Yeah. Right, but I didn't know if he, I can't remember if he actually killed the judge. I thought, I thought he killed the judge. judge. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. But he was a hitman. He was yeah. contracted to kill a federal judge, I believe, and he either succeeded or attempted and failed. But either way, he got caught and is in jail. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so that's uh or that's a, he might be dead by now. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he's still alive, but if you look him up, he looks just like Woody Harrelson. Like it's crazy. Like he looks like a 50s version of Woody Harrelson. Wow. So I highly recommend you guys watch this. Google Woody Harrelson's dad and go down that rabbit hole for a while. It's pretty fun. Not for Woody Harrelson, I feel bad for the guy, but at the end of the day, it seems like he probably drew from some of that in this. You know, because it's crazy. It's this scene, this interview is nuts, but it's juxtaposed, if I'm using that word correctly, with, uh, you know, um, Tom Sizemore, Scagnetti, Scagnetti, Leo Scagnetti, uh, in the cell with Juliette Lewis and, and uh, Mallory. Um, he's attempting to lure her into to being cordial and nice and like he's her friend so that he can, uh, basically he's trying to elicit sex, solicit sex from yeah him. basically he's in a position of power and yeah yeah he's kind of what harvey weinstein was doing behind the scenes <laughs> probably yeah so but that, do it in the creepiest way possible well i'm just saying that whole scene itself is sick you know like the, i mean just all the way down to where he's like got his shirt open and he's like pinch my nipple <laughs> really get in there <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> julia lewis's character's response to that like so specific actually she just ad-libbed that <laughs> she was like can you just make sure so that's, specific yeah that's really that's really awesome i didn't know that was ad-lib that's fantastic yeah you know the interesting thing like it is a very disgusting hard scene to watch but also the uplifting for lack of a better word part about it is like the whole time if you've been watching the movie you know you know she's going to take him out. Oh yeah, I'm dead. No, you That's want this one of the guy, moments that gave me glee. <laughs> this guy is not as smart as her in any stretch, and so the whole time you're watching it, it's tense because it's flipped because you know that she's the cat, not the mouse. You know, so it's fantastic that that, but it's really really fucked up. So, but then you cut back to uh, Mickey doing the interview, and he's going running down. He has one of the other better lines too in this thing where. Do you got any regrets? And he's like, yeah, I wish I hadn't killed that Indian. <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, that you're right. That's a definitely a regret. Uh, but he, he gets the upper hand and, you know, basically starts to break out. But during this time, a jail 
riot has gone on that has nothing to do with these guys, which is, I mean, well, it does. It, it does because they're watching, which this would never happen. Yeah. They would not put this on for convicts to watch, but they're Absolutely watching not. this live interview. Yeah. So they're getting all, all worked up and, 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 uh, on behalf of them, you know, right? Yeah. So they do have, I guess, an, an, a direct There's a connection, way. but to your point, it wasn't that Mickey or Mallory staged the riot. Exactly, It yeah. happened organically from watching. The- <laughs> right. Well, they, they also talk about how the prison was o- overcrowded in the first place. Yes, yep. And, and they make a point of that, and I thought that was interesting, too, because it's like, okay, something's going to happen here. Yeah, and and stuff is starting to point about the silence and things are breaking. Yeah, stuff is starting to boil over, and then watching this is just where. Here's my opinion too. Don't and I I could be wrong, but this is the way I've always felt. When you're watching the the final act of this, where they're weaving through like Dante's Inferno to get out, right? Um, Isn't it, it to me? It's like Oliver Stone's saying in this part that this is what we're about to come into. You're about to come into chaos if we keep this shit up. Now, I could be wrong. I might just be reading into it, but that's what I felt. I felt like he was saying, this is all that leading up to chaos. Everything breaks down if we don't roll this back and have clear lines on what what's what. But um, I love I this. I don't is know what that's what he was saying, but I can see. Oh, that's a good that point. Yeah. Good point. You can pull from it for sure. Cool. I've, I've always thought that was kind of like his... And I could be wrong. Like, you know, we, we wouldn't know unless he was sitting here with us, really. What he, he probably, he might have just thought it looked cool. Who knows? You know, right. But uh, I like that. That idea is that his, he's pointing it at it back at us and going, this is what you want. You guys want this, you know, and this is not going to end well for anybody. And um, we, we watch Wayne Gale go from reporting on serial killers to becoming a killer to becoming like a full fledged psychopath. Well, quick clarification, just because I'm an asshole, but no, no, go ahead. Mass murderers—they actually weren't serial killers because they oh, didn't yes. have, yeah. So yeah, yeah they didn't <laughs> so have a, right. there. And I also want to jump back to so the interview where he's doing live, yeah, was totally well, not totally, but partially was based on Gerardo Rivera's interviews of Manson, and then um, I forgot the other um media person's interview of Manuel Noriega was another one, but I never saw the interview of Manuel Noriega. I did see parts of the interview with Manson. I just didn't watch all of it because I was not super interested in Manson's side of the story. But well, <laughs> Or Geraldo Rivera, who was a very sensational or may still be a very sensational <laughs> media icon. But you could see it, like the way he was hyper and getting across the table and everything. And um, I also want to mention that, like, they really established that Wayne Gill is like a megalomaniac and an asshole, like the whole time. Like, oh, gosh, he's yeah. a narcissist very well and like just there's even a scene where he's like you know trimming his nose hair in the jail bathroom and there's like one of the patrons is cleaning up and he you know is trying to make a rapport with the patron i guess and um patron's not the right word with the inmate and um the guy's like what you in for the guy's like murder he's like yeah that's a bad one and he's like, yeah <laughs> you could know, like, just tell that there's nothing really yeah. connecting in there and like even when he's doing this interview with uh, uh, mickey like and he's you know trying to get him act you know, crazy at him and try to get him to like react to him reacting to him. And um, when like the outbursts happen and when it's over, he like ends it and like goes up and like hugs Woody Harrelson. Like he's just not paying attention to what's really happening. Like he does, you can tell he doesn't really understand that this man is a fucking killer. And yeah, then, he's so removed from it. He, yeah. Like nothing he can literally happen. Literally views it as entertainment. 
Himself. Yeah, it's it's ratings. That's all it and is. I also think it's, it's also privilege thing. and entitlement. Like, I don't think he thinks that he could ever be a victim because he's rich and he has influential friends. Right. Is the other thing. Like, to him, it's not real that he could be killed by, you know, Mickey or Matt. Right. That's for poor people. <laughs> which which <laughs> essentially, people who, yeah. I was yeah. Say, essentially, that is his demise. It's mm-hmm. his yeah. vanity and his, you know, arrogance. That's what kills him. <laughs> right. Because imagine how how quickly this would have been a different movie if he gets crazy and then he gets the upper hand or right at the end he shoots both of them before they leave just kills both of them in the back of the head or something oh yeah like to me then he becomes a hero and then he becomes the story right right that's kind of how i would have wrote it (laughs) because well you know and that seems yeah. And interesting. I like that, Randy. But also, you know, the same note, like, we're, yeah, so you point out that he becomes a mass murderer, too. Yeah, he takes a gun at some point when they're in Tonga riots and shoots at the guards and other people yeah. and would continue doing it, except for Mickey takes a gun away from him, sticks the camera in his hand instead. And I yeah. think he even says something along the lines of, you can't be trusted. Yeah, shoot but here's with the funny this. Thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. You also know that the character Wayne Gale didn't think he would ever be accountable for it either. Like right. at no point did he think he would be brought to the carpet or charges pressed on him for murdering it, you know, because people, you know, I know Bill Clinton, you know, whatever. I know right. this person. I know that person. He would have fought it as I was trying to fight my way out. I was in a situation, you know, and like, I can yeah, just no imagine that court case. Yeah. Would have been crazy. But, uh, but yeah, this, this leads to, like I said, one of the vi- most visually crazy parts of the movie, because there's toilet paper on fire, people getting stabbed and murdered left and right. Um, Mickey and Mallory are getting attacked and then this benevolent inmate comes out of nowhere and he's kind of like their shepherd and guides them through the rest of the maze. He's real calm dude. <laughs> like he might have even been more terrifying than well, they were. Fun fact about the crazy guy. He was he was supposed to be kind of a uh a uh oh my gosh, cannibal. A cannibal, oh, wow. oh okay. I did not know that. Yeah. I um, thought maybe it was supposed to be a throwback to the old Bonnie and Clyde movie, the one with Warren Beatty. Where no, no, no. Character he, in it that was just this real soft-spoken guy that just... No, no, no. That was the guy. whole point, that he was yeah. going to be a cannibal, because if you see the alternate ending, he stays alive with them, and he's in the car, and he ends up killing Mickey and Mallory only to eat them. <laughs> oh, wow. That also would have been a wonderful <laughs> Yeah, which I is totally. so fucked up. But but I I understand why they took it out because it makes no sense. You just threw in this new character, right. and then what? Well, <laughs> it makes as so much sense as anything else. If you go back to the you know the shaman saying you knew I was a snake, which is also again Wayne Gale's demise. That, that's right. true. You know, there's another convict in a you know prison that's basically you know violent offenders and murderers. They say that repeatedly, well, at least once, very clearly when they're walking them through. So, you know, it's not like Mickey and Mallory would think that they would be exempt from being killed by another killer, right? Right. Unless they weren't paying attention. They just allied themselves with somebody that they thought was harmless. I think they feel like they're the lions and everyone else is just the prey. Yeah, so their own arrogance would get them to. Um, Which, I mean, I'd like to talk about, we'll we'll get to that at the very end because I want to, that leads me to something. But let's talk about, too, the... uh, the riot with, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, John Paul, take it away. Just I mean, I, I, I love Tommy yeah. Lee Jones. I mean, yeah. and, this, and how crazy is this, you know, warden trying to keep order during this riot when he's getting reports of all these things? 
I mean, one of my favorite scenes is that they, they grab that stack of papers and they're like, what is this? He's like, all the inmates that are missing. We don't fucking need this. And they, no, it wasn't <laughs> inmates are missing. It was it, all the inmates that it, were in the prison. He was the like, the prison, right. He's like, I don't need this. Right. My, you know, I guess... I guess I, I never understood, though, as a war, I guess it's his vanity that gets him killed, too, or his hubris, because he thinks he can control it like God. Yeah. Well, I would have been scooping up the people that were left and getting them the fuck out of there, you know? Well, you know, I think it was that and his hyper focus on Mickey Mallory. So, yeah. which is kind of point out like this scene, there's another scene where a guard comes in and he's telling, like, you know, the extra shit that's going on. And one, I forgot the first thing he says was, but, you know, the warden's like no shit and the second one was mickey mallory got out you see this look on his face where it's like sheer like fuck then he's like oh and so and scagnetti's dead and he's like mm, who cares you know like right. the whole thing that he focuses in on is mickey mallory being free and that makes this sense because he does say crunch. yeah he does say that if we kill them it'll all stop yeah. remember and he that's that yeah. it does end up being his demise because when he's like there and the, i think one of the guards or a couple of the guards say something about him trying to that he should be focused on getting control and shutting down this and He's yeah. like, no, if I get these two, then that's it. This this kills it all. And he stays focused on them. That's how he ends up being locked in his own prison and murdered by the rest of the thing. Yeah, and, and I have the director's cut, so I got to see his head on a spike. I got to see the head on the spike. Yeah. yeah. I did not get to see the head on the spike. Yeah, they really, they really, uh, that, that's a one of the scenes that got cut because they knew it was going to be too controversial. It came out of the director's cut later, but it shows him getting pulled down and and then the next scene is they've got his head on a spike and they're like running around with it. And it looks just like Tommy Lee Jones. It's really gross. They did a good job on it. I I meant to go back. I forgot. So like we kind of start talked a little bit about the Scagnetti and Mallory scene where he's trying to, Oh yeah. I I would say force her to have sex with him because that's basically what it is. And like, I I just want to point out like all the red flags that he should have seen that meant that this was not going to happen the way he expected it. Like, you know, he gives her a cigarette. She puts it out with her foot and doesn't even flinch. Like her bare foot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he kept, you know, the day before when he, or not the day before, the time before he visited, they show a scene where she sings Born Bad and then like slams her head into the, like runs full bore at the door yeah. and locks herself out. Like there's all this stuff. And then of course, when he thinks he's going to get what he wants, she turns the table, beats the shit out of him. And a part of that scene, she slams Skagdetti into a wall. Um, Juliet Lewis actually broke Tom Sizemore's nose. Oh, nice. shit. <laughs> it's yeah. not funny, but it kind of is. The like, bitch broke my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like she was probably it in the moment with like all this disgusting thing as an actress that you just kind of went full force with it. And I don't think Tom Sizemore was prepared for it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that, you're right, though. That uh, Mickey comes to get her, but she's already got the upper hand by that point. She's hiding. Well, Kind she of, did. I guess. She lost it because yeah. eventually yeah. the bumbling guards get in and they start beating the shit out of her. And they ended up, basically, you know, Scagnetti just goes nuts because, of course, he's pissed that this little girl just beat the shit out of him when he thought he was right. his rocks off. And so he's spraying mace in her face. And that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. Right when Mickey comes in. But she but gets him. Actually, to your yeah. point, there's like yeah. that standoff. And um, Mickey sees her sees Mallory coming to and he actually sets it up so she could take care of him and I liked that part too where he was like no my woman got you I'm gonna let her go yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just uh, waiting for her he had a pounce that was fantastic um but yeah that whole that whole scene you're right that's that whole thing is crazy too because but it goes back to our original discussion on it too is that she was the cat the whole time you know oh yeah 
so dumb and arrogant himself. These are all, like you said, irredeemable main characters. They're just fucking terrible. Well, They're he all tells awful. her that he killed a person once. Yeah. Going back to the, the hooker that he killed. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like he's like, see, I'm kind of Mickey too. Like, it's not even like he's trying to intimidate her with that knowledge. He's trying to, I don't know, turn impress her. Impress her. It. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to impress her. Yeah. Exactly right. So, but yeah, it's that, that's that part's crazy. Sorry. I didn't mean to. I just, yeah. no, no. And then, uh, you know, then we get back to the warden's dead, the prisons and chaos. Our heroes, if you call them that, get out. And uh, they, they get actually in. don't explain. So, like the cannibal, I yeah. guess they just, you assume he got killed on the way. Right. Wingfield does explain what happened to the other guard. But. Right. Well, they are trapped in the bathroom, too. I don't want to skip that part because that's what the Wayne Gale phone call. Wayne Gale calls up uh, his wife and tells her he wants a divorce. <laughs> He's like, I'm the, alive for the first fucking time in my life. <laughs> and uh, then he immediately calls his girlfriend and tells her that he's leaving his wife and going to get the chili peppers out. Yeah. And and she, <laughs> she's like, no, you're a fucking psycho. Don't come here. You know? like, yeah. And basically breaks up with him, which is hilarious too. So that whole part's really funny. Well, you know, um, yeah. It actually ties back to like before that, when they're setting up to, you know, the promos and stuff for the live interview that's to come where he's, his wife had found Ming's number. That's the girlfriend's name. Yeah. Ming, Ming Dynasty. Yeah. He tells her. Yeah. That Ming is not a person, Ming is a restaurant. And then he is on the phone with the girlfriend, and the girlfriend's like, she knows. And he's like, no, she doesn't know. Just if she calls again, say Ming Dynasty. Ming Dynasty. Yeah. There's just so much, like, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. uh. <laughs> so much. Just he, he, he's just awful in the way, in the best way possible, though, for this movie, because it all works out. Well, and along there was <laughs> the implication that, you know, he's only got the position of power and the money and this, this, gig because he had been he'd been with his wife and got her knocked up and ended up marrying her as a result and like there's a scene earlier where he's on the phone with the his wife his father-in-law telling him that you know we need to do this and we are going to do the super bowl day where i'm leaving and i'll take all my money and media with me right. you know? so like just a dick. yeah he's a, he's a, a trash person <laughs> sorry i guess we can't beat that point more enough but yeah no. But we, yeah, so then we get, you're right, we get outside and uh, the prison's in chaos and we pick back up with everybody's in the woods. And by everybody, I mean, we've lost the cannibal guy, but it's Mickey Mallory and Wayne Gale who thinks he's going to make it out of this thing and go on to write books and movies. Why helicopters <laughs> were not deployed. That, I don't know yeah. why, but for some reason that, that line, line is and then, brilliant. <laughs> and Woody Harrelson following up with it. That is why helicopters were not deployed. <laughs> yeah. that, that just it always popping to giggles. Love that yeah. line in this movie because <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. And the way because I'm like, you're gonna fucking die. You're I'm like, he's fucking dead right away. As soon as he said that, I'm like, he's fucking dead. <laughs> fucking <Yeah. laughs> they're killing him. Yeah. He uh yeah, he gets shot, they murder him straight up, they video it. Um, because that's why they've got the video camera so that they don't need him. So yeah, it's two things set up there. I mean, like one, the video camera from the pharmacy or the drugstore, and mm -hmm. two. You knew I was a snake when you picked me up. <laughs> yep. So that's right. Another thing, because you know, there's this whole monologue too, where like 
Wayne Gill sitting there saying that I left my wife, my girlfriend left me, helicopters were not deployed. He sounds a little bit compassionate when he talks about the, the um, prison guard being shot and thrown out. You yeah. Know? But yeah, you could tell he's not getting that he's next on the list at all. No, not at all. <laughs> and like when Mickey tells him, like, look, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> like, you're yeah. like, you're the worst of the worst. We did not develop a rapport or camaraderie. I mean, though he does say he did kind of like him, but he just seems like, yeah, you're still going to die. Yeah. After he shot him, he said something like, uh, like I was starting to kind of like him. (laughs) (laughs) Narcissist. Right. But it brings me to the end and I got to know your guys' thoughts because to this day, I'm never sure if that ending is actually true where they're writing in the, I don't, I think it's like, I think it's their version of what they thought was going to happen after you know from their point point of view but there's no way they were in living in a winnebago and had a family and were living like it was 1987 you know <laughs> i never was sure like because you know they mentioned an underground you know yeah. where they were supposedly would be able to come out clean somewhere and who knows they could have been running around in the rv in I mexico ju- or i just think that they were too famous see but point. i kind of thought the point of it was just I mean, and maybe I'm wrong. This was totally me reading into it. Like I have no insight, but it kind of, to me, was making a commentary on generally generational violence and trauma, you know I mean? Like, so here, you know, even in their interview where Mickey says, I came from violence, my dad came from violence, you know, and then right. the next thing, you know, they're riding off and as you know, and I'm sorry, not an SUV, an RV with two kids and another on the way. Like, what is the expectation? Like, if you never fixed your generational trauma, guess what's going to happen to those kids, you know? And I didn't know if maybe that was the implied point that was supposed to come on, but here again, we're going to be raising some more killers. You know, I really like that. That's a really good idea. Like we were seeing a glimpse at future serial killers or future mass murderers, you know? So I'm going to go stick to my whole thing. And it's Looney Tunes. It's, it's, it's a, that's all folks. Oh, happy ending. I mean, and, and, and that's what's, what's pretty kind of, it goes back to my point of it's kind of ridiculous farce because this movie should not end with the killers getting a happy ending. <laughs> they should have died. Well, I think that was right. part of the controversy too yeah. when it came out, right? Was how it how it all wrapped itself up with that they got away, you know. Right. Like, um, but I, I like I said, I always imagined I like Jenny's version better. But oh, I no, I do too. I, I like that perspective as their point of view. Like they're like going to ride off in the sunset, and that's probably not what happened. They probably got murdered five miles down the road by a gang of cops. You know, but yeah, that's just me. <laughs> so, so I mean, to be fair, it's the '90s, so like not every car was you know you couldn't track it like you can nowadays. Nobody had cell phones, so that is true. You could disappear. I mean, look at uh, the Unabomber. Right. I mean, Ted Kaczynski lived in the woods uh, successfully for almost a decade before they got him. So and he was still blowing people up. Wasn't like he had stopped. So you're right. There are there are in that time period. We don't have we didn't have the technology we have now. So, yeah, it was still pretty easy to disappear, Mm -hmm. you know, harder than it was in the 50s or in the 50s, but still plausible for the 90s. I mean, social media didn't really exist, you know, so you had TV media, but you wouldn't be seeing like their faces all over Facebook or Twitter or anything. I mean, the internet wasn't a thing really so much then. It existed. It was not mainstream or wide. You know, you had blogs. Like even you could have national news, right? Like like ABC or what NBC, right? 
but in Alaska, their national news is, is going to be different than ours. You know, I mean, it's still national news, but everybody's getting the same thing, but they're not going to have the same channels or opportunities to watch. So who knows, who knows what was covering what maybe they didn't even have Wayne Gale where they were headed, you know? So Canada, let's say, right. So, yeah, but I mean, it, I guess the more we talk about, the more I'm like, I guess it could be possible that that didn't right. it could be, it just seems sunset. really, re- it seems really out of character unless you're going with John Paul's. I mean, yeah. So, so before, before we wrap this up, there's one, one point in this movie that we didn't bring up. And I do want to bring it up because in my opinion, it's one, it's one of the, best points that goes hand in hand with this movie and that's the soundtrack the soundtrack to this movie is so fucking phenomenal and it was produced by oliver stone and trent reznor as the same yeah Yeah. let me tell you man burn oh was on i mean it's yeah this yeah soundtrack is phenomenal yeah. yeah, the way it's integrated in there, it's just great. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I love how it was integrated <laughs> with what the, the the visuals you get with the soundtrack and music. And if you get this album, I like that they purposely put dialogue of the movie with with the, the songs. So it was just such like a MTV generation type, you know. I don't know, it was just so good. <laughs> And so actually, a note right. so I read that Trent Reznor watched this movie 50 times to be in the right mood to mix the soundtrack. That's awesome. I don't know how you could do that. I've watched it like five times in my life. And well, I did watch I it like three times over this last week. So. Right. I was going to say two of those were in the last month. So, but yeah. And I, I, again, I've watched this movie so much, but it's, it's, it's weird because I like it, but I like it because it's got so many different layers and that's that's why i would recommend people to check this out it is free on tubi right now so you can you know watch it on tubi uh i'm not sure which version it is i i own you know my version of it and i know there's been a whole bunch of different versions there's a director's cut there's an unrated director's cut you know there's all kinds of different cuts there's a DVD underground cut. I mean, there's like all kinds of different cuts of this movie, but it's bet. so damn good. Tubi <laughs> probably just has the theatrical version, I would bet. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's still it's great. worth it. It's still worth yeah. it. Um, but like I said, the soundtrack is just so fucking powerful. Well, you know, to yeah. add to that, like, so there's movies where I've loved the soundtrack, but I thought the soundtrack did not fit in the movie well. But this case, I mean, I love the soundtrack standalone, and I think it's just it is so integral to building this movie into what it is that yeah. it's, just, it's amazing. So. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's all around. Um, it's a ground mark cinema experience for that time. It's it's a time capsule for sure, right? I mean, this movie. I think that people should. I, I bet film schools do study it. You know, it, it had an impact in culture. And, and a conversation, you know, with people, it started a whole conversation about media. And uh, I remember, uh, you guys probably remember too, Oliver Stone hitting all the talk show uh, circuit after it came out. Like defending defending it, it, yeah. You know, and saying, saying, you guys are the problem. My movie isn't the problem. That's right. <laughs> the issue. <laughs> well, you know, another interesting point, I think it was in Scotland, um, there was, was it the Monday? There was a, a school shooting, like, I think the week before that this was supposed to be released on TV in, in Scotland. I think it was Scotland. It was somewhere in the UK. 
and they were going to go ahead and do it. Like the government was, the, the public was. And um, actually the people behind the movie said, don't, no, we're not putting this on TV when this just happened. Wow. So it actually got released to DVD before it ever showed on, on, on TV there. Wow. Interestingly enough. Or well, not, yeah, it, probably VHS at the time. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> and right. I got I to, to talk to the younger people. If any younger people watch this too, you just don't understand that time period. We had politicians who were going to bat and saying that th- this stuff should just be expunged from society. It, they weren't just saying to that to put harsher ratings. They were saying that creators should be able to create this stuff. It, it was in everything from video games to music. It's why when you buy an album, there's a, a warning, Virtual a label. Advisory. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was a weird time to exist in this where everybody thought they had their the moral high ground to tell other people what to do and how to live. And here we are now. I think we've made big strides in, but they're still in some regards. We have we're kind of fighting the the battle all over again. Yeah, people talk about cancel culture. I'm like, you don't even know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And but to the point of like when you think about the 90s, I'm like, we didn't even really know what cancel culture was when you think about McCarthyism. You know what I mean? Like, right. (laughs) So. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're right. They were trying to. St- Bob Dole was like, "This should be banned." He never even watched the movie. Right. Bob he had Dole just seen a Senate, trailer, by the way. In case um, yeah, Bob Dole. <laughs> everybody, and when he passed away, everybody was talking about what a great guy he was. I bet he was a nice man, but he did a lot of he he was the backer of a lot of really shitty policies. Yes. So I mean, and they always do that. That you know, <laughs> these politicians will pass away, and then they go, "Well, he was he was all right." No. Sometimes they were fucking terrible at their jobs, you know, and they shouldn't be called out just like you would single out anybody else for, for doing a terrible job. You know, like, I, I mean, it's just a long trend of like people yeah. thinking that their, um, their beliefs are the correct beliefs. They're the right. And you are wrong. Al Gore's wife is the reason that music was under fire. That you know? is true. They, they, I mean, they, that is the reason why there is a label because of Al Gore's wife. They want to talk about how Al Gore's a nice man and brought attention to climate change. And you're like, yeah, he probably could have done something about it. Seeing as how he was in office and they spent eight years working on getting music to have labels on it. You know, I mean, which is also why I always got to give props to D Snyder. Cause man, he stepped up and he was like, uh, no, you kids. <laughs> he was like, Watch D- Google, go to YouTube, put D Snyder Congress, have your mind blown. Mm-hmm. A guy who they wanted to paint, they invited him because they thought he'd be a dipshit, and he's one of the smartest guys on the planet. It's beautiful. He, it is, he yeah, he melts faces, and he <laughs> called out all the rest of the like rock and rollers and musicians. He's like, Where the fuck were you? He like flat out was like, Where were you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing, it's amazing. Thing. And but so that's where this this is for me. It's always whenever I watch it, I think back on that time and how crazy it was and how everybody was so wired about um the violence in this, which and now it just plays as cartoonish as John Paul points. Well, and, and that's that's what I'm gonna say. Um, you know, I, I watched this with my wife, and to her, this with my movie, wife, <laughs> this this does not hold up, she said. She doesn't feel like this movie holds up she, now. She doesn't have a frame of reference for whether it holds up. She wasn't around when it was there. Well, because because now, well, no, that's the thing. Well, the violence in this movie now, yeah, is nothing like violence in movies now. Oh, well, in like, reality too, because you know, yeah, it's like exactly. so it's not like there wasn't mass murders and, and shootings and stuff like that prior to this. But then Columbine happened after that. Um, exactly, Sandy Hook. You know, 
9-11 happened after that. There's, you know, I mean, we, a culture inundated with gun violence for sure. Exactly. So now this stuff just looks laughable. Right. right. It, well, or you're this, numb to it. Yeah. Compare this, like the, 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 the stuff in this to a show like Manhunter on Netflix, right? Uh, that deals with subject matter very similar to this, right? Chasing mass murderers, serial killers. The graphicness in that is tenfold. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's more realistic. It's grounded. We want it. We want things to be more real now. You know, so it's like watching Law and Order SVU. When I was a kid, they used to be goofy stuff that you're just like, oh, or they pull something from a headline. Now it's like super freaking graphic. You know, you're just like, wow, this. They were complaining about this a decade ago, and now it's even worse, you know? So, but I don't care. I don't want it to, to be censored. No, I, no, I don't either. I this don't either. Should be out there so that we can have people that are smart enough to have warnings, you know, and, and smart commentary on things. I want to also want to say one more thing to Jenny. She mentioned this, and I wasn't going to bring up anything about this, but she mentioned it earlier. And so she talked about how Julia Lewis has a part where she puts the cigarette out with her foot. I guess Oliver Stone can do it, and it's cool. But when Quentin Tarantino does it, oh. Well, okay. So fair, I don't give a shit about okay. my issue with Quentin Tarantino's But I was going to, I forgot this, but there's like one of the earlier scenes where they like um, are starting out on their spree. And they're in yeah. the convertible and she has her foot up on the dash and on the windshield. And I'm like, oh, that's totally Quentin Tarantino. He probably wrote that. <laughs> that's his scene where he salivates. Yeah. And on that note, kitties. <laughs> oh, wait, no, no. There's a couple. So oh, one more. Okay. we should probably point out. So this movie was shot in 56 days. That's right. Photography. <laughs> Took 11 months to edit. <laughs> wow. So a couple of things to know because of the 56 days, you see a lot of continuity issues come up. So if you want to like have a fun drinking game, just, you know, watch it and look for like weird things that like, Hey, wait, he shaved his head. Why does he have hair in that scene? You know, like there's stuff yeah. like that. The 11 months editing, if you think about it, I think. So the negative cutter for this um, movie cut in 4,000 scene or 4,000 stills or not. So 4,000 cuts into it with like, you know, where you see all those flashes with different movies and stuff like that. And it was like one of the biggest projects a negative cutter ever did. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I I can't believe, but it's Oliver Stone, but uh, 56 days that there was that many footage, that much footage to have four or five different versions of this movie too. But that's what he does. He just, and I think um, that's some of the stuff they cut in. I, I wish yeah. I could, I think I wrote down the negative cutters name. This is Donna something. It's almost 3000 cuts. The, the, um, the negative cutters name was um, Donna Bassett. And she cut 4,000 negative um images into the film wow so this is a lot of, maybe the reason why there's so many different versions has more to do yeah. with that than the 56 probably <laughs> that's all hand done man that's a lot of work yeah so. it also context kids this is not digital no they're taking actual film squares and slicing them and adhering them together in boxes it, it is that painstaking process so yeah Props to that woman. <laughs> Why I say that woman it might be man. Props to that person. That negative cutter is should be yeah. uh, have a legendary plaque somewhere for themselves for that. Um, also, so to pick on Randy. So, like I said, Ken Tarantino he hated this movie. He wanted nothing to do with it once it came out. He didn't want his name associated with it until he ran into Johnny and June Carter Cash and and they told him that they really loved this movie. It was one of their favorites. And then he kind of was like, Oh no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of has something to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I've read many a different uh, explanations for why he had a change of heart because I do remember he was pissed off, like you said. Yeah, money is probably a factor, but the more famous he got, the more he probably did want to piss off Oliver Stone and other people, you know, that he wanted to work with down the road. So he, he probably let off of it. But yeah, I remember reading an article that he hated this movie for a while. But um, I mean, to be fair to him, though, like as, as I mentioned, like this screen, his original screenplay versus this movie are supposed to be completely like not the same animal at all, almost like right. unrecognizable besides from character names in it. And, um, you know, I mean, he this was going to be the first movie that Quentin Tarantino was going to direct with a friend of his, I think. Yeah, it was Roger. It's going Avery. to be his first movie. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm sure he had a, a little special place in his heart for what he wanted to see. And then when it got completely changed around, I could see where he'd be like, fuck you people. I don't want anything right. to do with this. This is not my movie. So and this, that happened to him twice, you know, because True Romance was another one that he wrote. And I don't think he, he hated didn't hate that, that one, though. He didn't. But, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, he wanted to make it. He had the idea for how he wanted to shoot it. And he had to sell the script to finance other projects that he was involved with. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that and that's always I always wonder what these two movies would have looked like had he done them. You well, know? they did publish his screenplay. So, you, you know, I'm going to have to find book, it. So yeah. At some point, I, I'm going to have to read it to see what his version of this was, because yeah. now this is according to Oliver Stone, which. I mean, Coke and all. He basically said in 94 that, that Tarantino's version was basically all about the media character and that the Mickey and Mallory were like background characters of the story that the media person was telling and the focus was on the media character. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Like I said, Stone. That sounds Stone like an interesting lot. movie. So, um, but um, also, originally, Oliver Stone wanted to make this a simple action movie, and he said that it just as he was doing, he just wasn't going to be, he wanted something more layered, more complex and and he couldn't just make it a simple action. So, All right. Well, on that note, let's do final quick thoughts. Okay. So Randy, what's your final thoughts on this movie? Uh, My final thought would be that I think it's an important movie and everybody should at least watch it once, regardless of your threshold for violence. It has a lot of important things to say. Um, it's entertaining. It has an amazing soundtrack and the, the cast is phenomenal. You'll never see another movie like this. Probably. Um, it's, it's its own animal. So I say, check it out. All right. And I, I guess, uh, Jenny, go for it. Yeah, great. You need to watch it at least once. Um, try to do something to be able to get past Juliette Lewis's voice in that. And <laughs> I don't, maybe it doesn't strike everybody the way it does me, but Focus on the phenomenal acting, what they did with the editing, um, just the, the satire, what the warning is supposed to be, and uh, just be kind of awed by it, really, because it's it was way ahead of its time in a lot of ways, even though, like, like you know, to Kate's point, it maybe does not hold up violence-wise, but what it did, and I think a lot of movies kind of copied some of the innovations from it, the way the things were cut in, and so, yeah, watch it. It should be a piece of cinema history that gets studied, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Jenny, uh, you read a lot of my mind. Uh, yeah, I think, yes, the way this movie shot, uh, a lot of a lot of movies started copying uh, a lot of the same styles. So, definitely innovative. I mean, I even think Tarantino kind of used some of the style in this movie as well. Um, but I, yeah, I recommend to watch it, even though you, I, like I said, it's Looney Tunes, but it's fun Looney Tunes. And maybe it's just my warped sense of mind and warped sense of humor. Because <laughs> I do. I do laugh when I watch this movie. Because I, you know, I guess I'm crazy. But, 
you know, and the soundtrack, I, I can't say. I mean, after rewatching this, I have just been playing the soundtrack nonstop and I love it so much. It's just so, so good because it goes from like rap, rock, you know, 50s classic. I mean, and you wouldn't think this stuff would like mesh together, but it does. And it's so brilliant. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Like I said, it's free on Tubi. So give it a whirl. And after you watch it, you will say, what the fuck did I just watch? That's right. <laughs> so, well, thanks. Uh, thank you. It's uh, Jean-Paul here, and we're going to say goodbye. Bye, guys. And, uh, bye, bye, Randy. Thanks for coming. As, as uh, always, thank you. Uh, welcome good. to our new year. Uh, we have fun, fun special movies ahead. And if you ever want to join our fun panel, we wonder if we'll, we'll welcome you to. Uh, we have what? If you want to be a guest? Reach out. Tell us what you yeah. want to watch, or you know, just tell us you don't care what you want to watch, and you just want to be on the podcast, and we'll hook it up. Um, Randy, are you still doing Midnight Nexus? Um, probably not at the moment. It's on hiatus. We're doing a book right now. Um, we're taking. We took all of the short stories from Midnight Nexus, the podcast, which you can find on uh, um, Zombie Takeover TV on Bandcamp. Zombie Takeover TV and Bandcamp. Well, thank you, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> was like a collection of short stories from different authors. Uh, me and one of the other primary authors, Jake Thornburg, have put our stories together in a compilation and added some new material. And we just finished the final draft. We're working on the um, the actual con- content of the book, the context, so the exterior of the book itself and how it'll look um, and getting all that together. We'll, it'll be published in February. So That's awesome. uh, we will be putting that up on Amazon.com. Get your copy. Keep an eye out uh, for that. Um, also, you can catch me on Girls Go Schools. Um, and John Paul may be having a reboot surprise coming up in the future. So. Maybe. Maybe a reboot is coming. Maybe a, a reboot, reboot is coming. Yeah, you know, all the Fangled kids like reboots, and there might be a reboot in my future. So what, what more, more, more to come soon. More to come. All right. More to yeah. come. But uh, again, I'm John Paul Mantia. And for... What the fuck did I just watch? I have my wonderful co-host, Jenny, and our wonderful guest, Randy. Hey, thanks all, and uh, have a great night. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Good night. You have been listening to What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? You can find us on Facebook and on YouTube at WTF Did I Just Watch? Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. 